You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Hey there, everybody. This is uh, Danny Anderson welcoming you to another episode of the Sectarian Review podcast. Um, as always, I am recording from Mount Aloysius College, where I am an assistant professor of English still. And uh, I'm joined today by two uh, luminaries of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. We've got first the voice of the network, uh, David Grubbs. David, how you doing? Oh, I'm pretty good and uh, luminous, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they, uh, you know, you hear David's voice at the beginning of every network show, and uh, it's always nice to have his uh, his full body on this show here for the uh, uh, for the topic. And um, and joining uh, David and I is uh, Jordan Posh. Jordan, how are you? I'm great. Uh, I don't know how luminous I am. I don't have those office windows behind me like David does, <laughs> but uh, but I'll take it. Yeah, and, and Luminous, that's actually a really good uh, segue into our topic today. We're actually talking yeah. about uh, the ancient alien theory, and, uh, and there's a sort of a kind of illumination, uh, kind of hidden knowledge, occulty sort of feel to this subject matter. And I got to say, this is something I've loved for a long time. I um, I, I recognize the problems with the theory, which we'll talk about today, um, but it's, it's always been a very fun show for me to watch, and there was a time in my life where I would fall asleep every Every night watching episodes of this on my phone and uh that was just sort of my my practice of falling asleep and i don't do that anymore i've taken to reading books now before bed but um but the uh um uh, it still holds a, a warm place in my heart as as ridiculous as it all is um <laughs> david were you gonna say something about that no no just 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 same um <laughs> it, 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 a lot of my a lot of my sort of binge time is just you know I'll poke around. I'll think, oh, should I watch that? Should I watch this? Da da da. And I'll be like, you know what? I'll just put on an episode of Ancient Aliens. <laughs> Do you guys have a favorite character? Like mine is David Hatcher Childress, um, and you can always recognize oh. him because he always begins every sentence with, "You have to wonder why something is, is the way it is, right?" And then he goes on, <laughs> goes on with some wild speculation. But he's I favorite. love David Childress, but he does not blink. <laughs> Completely unblinking. He'll miss the truth if he blinks. Um, the <laughs> <laughs> what, what about you guys? You have a favorite? I mean, Giorgio is the the face of the of the uh, of the franchise, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> yes, with the hair and the meme and all that, right? But uh, his ability to not say words. <laughs> Yes, they're great. And in the early episodes where you see, you know, Eric Von Daniken himself like show up yeah. there, they're a lot of fun. There's a lot and they get kind of kookier. The new cast members as uh, as the seasons go on, you find these, mm -hmm. there's, we'll talk about this. There's a way in which um, there's a lot of like, oh, sort of 
coincidence with new age uh, kind of uh, religious practice, right? And, yeah. and you can see that in a lot of the folks that are on the show. But anyway, let me kind of like spin into the show proper. This will be a bit of a, uh, a freestyle show. We talked, we're going to riff like ACDC on this one. And so um, the, um, the it was inspired though by Jordan. You wrote a, a really great blog post about it on your really excellent blog. Um, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about... Um, your take on it, it particularly has to do with um, kind of inherent racial attitudes. And I, I thought that was something I've always thought. And I definitely wanted to talk about it when I read this. So go ahead. Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, it's it's you know, it's serious if I'm the one bringing up the word racism. That's that's <laughs> that's a that's a word I feel like is way, way overused. And so I avoid it if at all I possibly can. But hundred percent warranted in this case because uh, as I as far as I'm concerned if and when the word racism is appropriate to use it's in that dictionary definition sense right where you where you are use, using race deterministically right that that classically is what racism is and I think we're going to see some of that here so uh, just to briefly kind of recap <laughs> playing off of those Giorgio memes I had titled it I'm not saying ancient aliens is racist dot 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 <laughs> um, and I began but it's racist or or can be and that I, I want to note that ambiguity at the very beginning because what's bothersome what's bothersome to me about ancient aliens theories um, as I note in this blog post and I'll, I'll send you a link to it so you can put it in the show notes Um. The thing that usually irks me about ancient aliens is what C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, right? Which is this kind of, you know, it's just kind of the air we breathe nowadays. This is just sort of the gener generic attitude of uh, modern people, but just this sort of assumption that anything now is necessarily better than anything then, right? Um, you know, we are more advanced now. We, we are, you know, all those words, advance, progress, you know, Etc. You name it, um, to the to the point that I go through a lot of verbal gymnastics in my history classes, trying to avoid words that suggest those kinds of assumptions. Um, the the basic assumption being simply that you know, in this kind of Darwinian upward climb out of the primordial ooze to the you know present day stage of you know iPhones and predator drones um, to take. <laughs> Two ends of our uh, cultural life that I think really can't be separated as much as we like to think. That'd be a great song uh, title by like uh, I don't know <laughs> iPhones and Predator drones. Like uh, I, I sort of like <laughs> Weird Al or Kinky Friedman or somebody should do that. Oh but, yes, but go ahead. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, so so built into that is a kind of a Darwinian view of like okay, if as you know, the longer things go, the better things get. So things in the past are necessarily worse, or you know maybe less sophisticated, or you know. That kind of thing. And so you see examples of this everywhere, uh, just to kind of, you know, wh whether in pop culture, the idea that, you know, primitive societies are easy to wow with basic technological technological items or things or, um, I mean, even the word primitive itself, which uh, comes from the word prime or primary, right? It's the first. So it's the earliest. It's the crudest. It's the most credulous and superstitious, forgetting that, you know, even even you know even even the ancestors of ours that coexisted with Neanderthals were at least anatomically modern people, right? Which I emphasized to my students over and over again. So that's what, so that's you know I, I could go on about this all day, so I'll stop. But the, the that's the thing that usually bugs me 
about ancient aliens theories, which is the idea that people, whether it's in ancient Egypt or, you know, usually Egypt, maybe Babylon, maybe, you know, China or Central America, especially, uh, those people were simply too primitive, uh, too unsophisticated to do things like pile bricks up in the shape of a triangle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, you have some, to wonder why. I'm sorry. <laughs> why would they do it? So, something with a square foundation that you know regularly slopes up to a point. You know, something like my two-year-old can do. Um, anyway, uh, so th- th- again, when once you have made that assumption, that's going to you know th- that's a presupposition that can lead you in all kinds of crazy directions. Uh, which I see, you know, with my history students all the time, but in extreme forms can get into this ancient alien stuff where, you know, um, and again, I, I raise a bunch of these issues in this post. I can't possibly deal with all of it because, uh, a lot of these, a lot of these theories arise around things that already kind of have a mystique to them, right? Cause the, uh, if you read Herodotus, you know, the ancient Greek historian, the Egyptians are already kind of like tooting their own horn about how ancient and mysterious they were. Oh yeah. If 500 in 500 BC. Yeah. Giving grossly inflated dates for the antiquity of their kingdom and stuff and showing these, you know, goggle eyed Greeks around as they stared at all this old stuff. So, uh, with, you know, since, since I'm bothered by ancient aliens, uh, theories because of chronological snobbery, I was really struck by this post that I came across on the blog of a biblical scholar named Michael Heiser, uh, and Heiser has a really great um, YouTube. Well, formerly YouTube, now he does it on Vimeo because of you know YouTube's yeah YouTube's behind the scenes shenanigans. If it's good content, it just can't stay on YouTube apparently. <laughs> um, but Heiser is a ancient Semiticist and a uh, scholar of like biblical Hebrew and various other. Uh, ancient Semitic languages, so he's he's poked around in all kinds of fields, including you know, like Canaanite religion and Babylonian stuff, and uh, you can get samples of that um, sometimes in great detail on his uh, uh, online videos, which are called Fringe Pop Three Two One, where he kind of unpacks in an accessible but scholarly way some of these theories about things like the Anunnaki, right, which is a mainstay of ancient alien stuff. Yeah. So. Um, in his post, Heiser uh, notes uh, he he notes the chronological snob chronologically snobbish tendency of these theories, saying some presume that humans in antiquity were so primitive that they could not build these things, like again the pyramids, etc., uh, the Nazca lines, maybe uh, you name it, uh, without the assistance of non-human intelligence. Uh, so again, there's that very very modern uh, presupposition. Uh, but then he goes on from there. To uh, oh, Stonehenge is another big one. Um, I'm I'm glancing through my <laughs> my uh, my own blog post to jog my memory because I have slept since then. Uh, so he he's the one who actually directs the you know he he notes the chronological snobbery, but also directs it I think quite usefully for once toward racial attitudes uh, because it is so easy so easy to shade. <laughs> This kind of conspiracy theory thinking and this sort of, uh, again, chronologically snobbish presupposition into, you know, away from the mere time element into the racial or the ethnic element, Uh, especially because thanks to the Internet, there's still a lot of very, um, 
and I'm trying to avoid the word outdated because that's kind of chronologically snobbish itself. Uh, <laughs> let me just say un- untrue, right? It's, it, you know, the truth doesn't depend on the time in which it's spoken. Uh, untrue stuff about, you know, old like 19th century racial theories, uh, the work of people like Madison Grant, you know, with the passing of the, the, the passing of the great race, uh, and things like that. Um, uh, some of which was tied to the kind of rudimentary, you know, just the beginnings of things like archaeology and, you know, the real serious philological study of languages. Uh, that's where you get, you know, there was a real group of people called the Aryans, but it does not, you know, that does not classify as all Caucasian people everywhere. You know, there was not some great Nazi diaspora, <laughs> you know, in like 6000 BC stretching from the Hindu Kush to Britain, you know. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, but a lot of that old stuff is still floating around out there on the internet. And it is so easy to kind of like mesh that, uh, with things like ancient aliens theories. Um, so, so it's not a, my, my point being, it's not a huge leap to go from some, you know, primitive humans were so, uh, primitive that they needed extraterrestrial help to being prim some, some primitive races were so primitive that they needed superior races to guide them either like aliens or other human races that were kind of given an extra boost by aliens, which is apparently where, uh, Eric von Daniken has occasionally let his mind wander. Mm. Uh, and you can, again, I, I quote, for, uh, Heiser li- links to a couple of people who deal with the topic in a little bit more detail. Uh, both of which I link to in my, uh, my, uh, blog post, but apparently, um, <laughs> Like I said, uh, Erich von Däniken, who's kind of the godfather of the present form yeah. of the ancient aliens theory. He's a, a former hotel concierge who <laughs> published a book in the 70s that got this rolling, speaking of the kind of colorful backgrounds of these folks. Yeah. Uh, but apparently, you know, in, in theorizing, and I'm, yeah, again, I think these are, these, these, I think these arguments are quite apparently untrue. Theorizing, uh, yes, <laughs> yeah, theorizing. I think these, I think these are quite apparently untrue. But apparently, he uh, has theorized that you know aliens actually kind of fiddled around with humanity a little bit and had a couple of botched experiments, which would include people of like sub-Saharan African uh, extraction, uh, where they were kind of like an experiment that didn't take. But then you know, quote unquote, superior races like. European Caucasians uh, apparently did take and actually, you know, learned a lot more from the monolith than the previous uh, iterations had. Uh, and then um, uh, grew and advanced and became more sophisticated from there. So, again, it's like I said, it's, it's not that far from, you know, making certain kinds of assumptions into letting them leech over into racially explanatory theories, which, again, is racism. Uh, apparently, he went on from there to advocate eugenics, uh, which is, you know, always knocking at the door whenever you get into this kind of thing. Uh, and this is this is not Dick von Daniken's own words. This is a summary by one of these archaeologists that Heiser is linking to. Uh, but he notes uh, von Daniken seriously asks whether the aliens want quote strict segregation of races, and he advocates human cloning to perpetuate the very best superior specimens in the event of disaster. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, but that's a, a, a natural outcome of what you call, I mean, what do you call it? Chronological snobbery, the sort of yeah. Uber faith in prog- progress. Right. And so it is sort of a natural outcome 
of that worldview, right? <laughs> you do have that. Especially because, especially because of the way it's always like linked to technological progress. I mean, you see this over and over again, like the, the cartoon version is Magneto yeah. in X-Men, right? Once you realize the mechanism that is happening to help advance the human species through evolution, once you know what it is, why wouldn't you step in and take it over and manipulate yeah. it yourself technologically, which yeah. is what all eugenics programs are. Well, and, um, and we have this fear of like, you know, uh, you know, fiddling with uh, kids in utero, right? Uh, to sort of engineer more perfect, quote unquote, right. children, right? And that's sort of like an ethical dilemma that we, a real life ethical dilemma that we live with today. And so this is um, an yeah. not unrelated topic. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and also, yes, yeah, not unrelated, but also that also means that it's not quite as, uh, you know, uh, pie in the sky or um, it's, it's not, it's not just a hobby horse, yeah. you know, to play around with. These, these are, these are, issues that have real world ramifications there are implications yeah so uh, real quickly i want to spin it over yeah. to david here in a minute um yes yeah, <laughs> but so von daniken like his book was chariot chariots of the gods with a question mark i believe was the name of the book if i'm yeah. remembering right and so and it was it wasn't something that he invented right so there were there right. were versions of this before and i think david wants to talk about this exists in pop culture right before von, <laughs> von daniken even writes that but yeah there is this sense that um um, you have this kind of, uh, well, I, one kind of common feature of conspiracy theories of all sorts is that for whatever reason, they tend to be very stackable. I always compare them to Lego blocks and like one conspiracy theory that seems entirely different from this one. So you could buy a Star Wars Lego kit and a Lord of the Rings Lego kit and those blocks will still fit together, right? And so conspiracy yeah. theories work like <laughs> right. that. And um, and yeah, so all of these kind of particularly anti-Semitic um, conspiracy theories fit very nicely <laughs> on the ancient astronaut theory, right? And so you've yeah. got all of this sort of um, neat correlations, right? And not all of it's intentional by every person. I'm not going to cast any accusations on Giorgio uh, Sukalis or, or uh, David Hatcher Childress, right? But um, but it is a part of the the field that they're talking about. And I think it's important to, uh, um, to uh, bear in mind. So Von Daniken's writing in the 60s, I think, that book came out. And, um, and, and it is sort of a sensation at the time um and but it has other roots and i, I want to kind of spin it over to david and he can kind of go wherever he wants but yeah we were talking about this in in pre-show um the the roots of this you know ancient ancient aliens planting uh planting humanity dominating humanity depends on the version that you get um uh as we, as we were talking though, when you mentioned um, when you mentioned Herodotus, Jordan, it reminded me uh, a lot of these same tropes. In fact, almost all of the same cultural equivalences and cultural comparisons that the ancient alien writers, theorists, as the show calls them, um, <laughs> researchers, uh, pull, researchers, <laughs> yes, researchers have found. Uh, almost all of those same cultural comparisons and equivalences are the sorts of things that you find in 19th and early 20th century Atlantis literature, um, like Ignatius Donnelly and uh, and then after, um, where uh, essentially the um, uh, the the common the common thread that is binding these 
these cultures that they've all got pyramids and they've all got picture writing. Huh, how could this be? <laughs> is not, you know, spaceships. It's not ancient aliens. It's this lost continent of Atlantis. And so, but it's exactly the same, um, exactly the same cultural features, exactly the same comparisons. They're simply finding a new, um, a, a different common thread. It's, it's, uh, so it, it's diffusionism, yeah. right? It's, it's just classic diffusionism um, with a swankier chromed, uh, chrome style diffusion. <laughs> uh, yeah. What's but, the one that's in like the Pacific Northwest? Um, that's kind of ancillary to Atlantis. They called it uh, L- L- Lemuria? L- L- Lemuria. That was it. Yes. L- yeah. Yeah. Lemuria. Yeah. I mean, and this is stuff that was, um, again, 19th century. The theos- uh, theosophists mm-hmm. were super yeah. into this. Um, yeah, I was going to ask. I can't remember the timeline, but did Ignatius mm-hmm. Donnelly come after Madame Blavatsky? I think Donnelly was before. Okay. Uh, if I, I know they're all brightly. plagiarizing from each other. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. I mean, um, there's, there's, you'll be surprised to learn that there's a very low threshold of academic integrity um, <laughs> among these, these researchers. Um, yes. Gasp. <laughs> yeah. But like, for, it, it is striking. Like everything we can talk about today, you can find in Madame Blavatsky in, in the 19th century. I mean, it's with, without a cup, without like a handful of people hosting seances in like the 1880s, none of this would have come around, yeah. but, but sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I want to say the earliest, the earliest theos- theosophist stuff that really digs into the Atlantis and the lost Lemuria. Um, I want to say that's like 19 noughts or 19 teens. Ignatius Donnelly is the 1880s. So, so he and, uh, he and Blavatsky were contemporaries, um, writing pretty close, writing pretty close together, but there's nothing especially, um, uh, occult about Ignatius Donnelly. For him, there was just this other continent that had a civilization and it explains why these civilizations separated by an ocean who aren't apparently connected to one another um, have nonetheless, you know, developed a, a lot of what he and many, many, many folks at that time saw as, as remarkable parallels. Right. So his his Atlantis is not especially um, swanky, new agey, weird. There's no crystals. <laughs> There's no ascended masters. We have Blavatsky. We have Blavatsky to thank for that. Um, adding on this kind of new age and mystic uh, aspect to it. And it's Blavatsky who who also has this idea that Earth is a kind of lab in which a new um, new races are being developed and, and, you know, new ones are replacing old ones as, as the ascended masters give us continued upgrades, um, as they are, you know, elevating us towards some, you know, kind of s- super form in which we will eventually transcend this crude flesh, et cetera, et cetera. It's very Gnostic in, in a lot of ways, yeah. Oh, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's totally, um, got that. Uh, you could read some of those Gnostic Gospels, and it would map very neatly onto um, much of this stuff. They would just sort of replace any kind of mystical figure with a physical body from another planet, right? Um, 
Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. if you take uh, not not everyone who's on Ancient Aliens, but if you take, for example, someone like uh, David Wilcock, mm. um, the Gaia Wilcock, Network, yes, yeah, okay, that guy is <laughs> way off into all that stuff. Yeah, um, and he is know, such alien- an interesting looking person. He's like David Spade's insane cousin or something. Like. I- <laughs> 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 Oh He's got this intensity that's <laughs> a little frightening. Yes. Um, you know, David Childress always looks like he's like this close to a coronary, but, <laughs> but David Wilcock, like he's going to come at you if you say no. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he's got and, cult well, leader written all over him. Um, well, it, it sometimes it's kind of funny to just, I, I listen to it most of the time while I'm focusing on other things. But but every once in a while, I'll look back over there, and then it, it becomes kind of a who's got the craziest eyes. <laughs> you know, for me, it's it, it's it's a pretty even running between uh, David Childress, David Wilcock, and Linda Moulton Howe. <laughs> <laughs> and Linda, I mean, it's it's an interesting because she's like comes out of a a somewhat legitimate form of journalism, right? She was sort of mm-hmm. early in the the cattle mutilation. Um, yeah, uh, she sort of, I mean, did actual liter- legitimate journalism about cattle mutilations, right? And, yeah, and that was her entryway into this world of cryptozoology which is sort of ancillary to ancient alien stuff and there's all this kind of like and even um with bigfoot now there's a a subset of bigfoot enthusiasts who are less interested in zoological questions about bigfoot and more see him as like a mystical being of light right and and so there's there's ways in which all these things are separate but bleed into each other and linda moulton howe is like a perfect example of of that kind of a figure well it's all in the blavatsky um, you know, and now I, and now I feel like the old professor in the Lion, the witch in the wardrobe, like, <laughs> you know, it's all in Blavatsky. What do, these, what do they teach in school these days? Um, well, and the, even the idea that there are these secret societies of mystics who are also kind of working at the human level, manipulating history and manipulating societies in order to bring about the, um, the, the goals of the ascended masters. Like that's. All, 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 all that stuff is there. Yeah. Um, well, can, can I? I don't want to like derail you, David. I, I want you want to yeah. talk about the the mid fifties, the uh, Quatermass in the Pit, which we had a show about one time. But yeah, hold on to that for a minute because I think it's, it's a it's a pre von Daniken version oh, yeah. of this story, basically, right? And uh, and it's very interesting. Um, and we talked about it being about Nazis, right? Space space Nazis. Um, um, space Nazis. Um, and, exactly. Um, <laughs> um, but the um, just for people who might not be as like into this ridiculousness as we are, <laughs> I feel like we need to kind of define some of these terms. We're just throwing out Anunnaki, like everybody knows what the heck we're talking about. Right? Well, you and, know, um, but so this is basically a Sumerian myth, myth about these those who from the heavens came. Giorgio Suclus is always quick to define what Anunnaki yeah. means, um, and it's related to this in some in some cases this uh, um, Planet X slash Nibiru mythology. Right about this destroyer planet and the Anunnaki sort of ride on this planet and come to visit Earth every 
3,000 years or whatever. And then you've got that yes. wrapped into the uh, the Mayan calendar for 2012 and all that. Uh, all these things are sort of uh, wrapped together. But basically, this is a, an ancient race of aliens. If you ever saw, honestly, um, the the Prometheus movies, um, the, mm-hmm. the late alien movies, it's basically that story. You've got this engineer race of aliens that have created human beings for whatever reason, right? And and this is um, and so we're sort of like an experiment where they mix some sort of alien DNA with primates on this planet, um, and 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 whatnot. So that that just people know that's kind of a foundational part of ancient astronaut theory. Like even if they differ on the details, that narrative stands. Well, in the more action movie version, Stargate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Stargate. Perfect. Yeah. Um, which that's a good movie. I forgot about Stargate. That's a really <laughs> that's a good movie. Um, James Spader before he goes uber weird, right? Um, and so that's a really good movie. Um, <laughs> so so that, that go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting somebody. Yeah. So it, it makes a turn to the to the extraterrestrial though. So so when you get to extraterrestrial, be the the narrator yes. of the show is amazing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> A more extraterrestrial solution. Yeah, sorry. A more otherworldly. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry. Just delightful. Like I want to. Like I kind of wish I was that guy. It's a fun world to live in. <laughs> must, like the stuff that he has to say with a like an audible straight face. Um, just the the best deadpan in the business. <laughs> But even with, even with with uh, Blavatsky, so we've got the diffusionism in someone like Donnelly, but it's, it's just, you know, there was this ancient civilization. And then you've got the New Age layer slathered on top. And now, and then the extraterrestrial layer. Um, the for, for Blavatsky, there are these beings that are beyond the Earth, but they're spiritual entities, right? She, 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 she doesn't have this idea of kind of nuts and bolts, UFOs, spacemen, like none of that. What's beyond the earth is spiritual. Um, so for that, you have to have Charles Fort mm. and his book of the damned and the books that followed that. Um, so I, I was just sort of poking about um, trying to, trying to re- remember um, what in Charles Fort um, was connected to this. because Charles Fort is famously difficult to read. Uh, he was, uh, oh gosh, I don't have the, I don't have it in, uh, his, his, his dates in front of me. Um, let me rectify that. <sighs> Here we go. Nice. Look at this. A physical <laughs> copy. Oh, yes. Uh, the books of Charles Fort. Um, the first one, 1919. All right. So this is a book of the damned. Um, from 1919, which is his super weird book of all kinds of idiosyncratic stuff that doesn't fit in the conventional science of his time. Some of which was later uh, uh, so, something. Some things that he's that that he talks about in this book um, later became more kind of main, got mainstream recognition. Um, but he's so he's so eclectic and idiosyncratic that I don't think anybody's really going to claim him. <laughs> <laughs> Although the Fordian the, the Fordian Times is still in in publication, it's yes. still, it's an inspiration of Charles um, Fort, right? The Fordian oh, Times, yeah. and it's sort of like a, a 
a centralized clearinghouse for these kinds of investigations into the weird. Yeah. So uh, he starts off with things like rain, raining frogs and stuff like that, which, you know, if you don't make it very far into the book, you might just sort of get the impression that Charles Ford is all about weird things falling out of the sky, which he is, (laughs) but he makes a turn and he starts to theorize about these other planets and other things in space that are coming to visit us. And there are people who are from there. Right. So, uh, he, in it's, it's, it's in, in this particular section, he's been theorizing about, uh, about planets, about things that move between planets. And he says the answer he's, he's, he's wondering, you know, what's, how, how should we think about this stuff? Where is the, What conclusion does it lead to? The answer that occurs to me is so simple that it seems immediately acceptable if we accept the obvious, that the obvious is the solution of all problems. <laughs> uh, skipping a little bit. Um, uh, or would we, if we could, educate and sophisticate pigs, geese, and cattle? Would it be wise to establish diplomatic relation with the hen that now functions, satisfied with a mere sense of achievement by way of compensation? I think we're property. <laughs> I, say, I should say we belong to something. That once upon a time this earth was no man's land, that other worlds explored and colonized here and fought among themselves for possession, but now it's owned by something. That something owns this earth and all others are warned off. Right? Maybe nothing in our own times, perhaps, and I'm thinking of certain notes I have, have ever appeared upon this earth from somewhere else so openly as Columbus landed upon San Salvador. But as to surreptitious visits to the earth in recent time, or as to emissaries perhaps from other worlds, or voyagers who have shown every indication of intent to evade and avoid, we shall have data. But in this vast subject, I, uh, I shall have to do considerable neglecting, disregarding. Um, anyway, the point is, uh, we are owned. I suspect that, after all, we are useful. Um, and that this has been known, perhaps for ages, to certain ones upon this earth, a cult or order, members of which function like bellwethers to the rest of us, lead sheep or as superior slaves or overseers directing us in accordance with instructions received from somewhere else in our mysterious usefulness. But I accept that in the past, before proprietorship was established, inhabitants of a host of other worlds have dropped here, hopped here, wafted, sailed, flown, motored, walked here for all I know, (laughs) and have visited periodically for hunting, trading, replenishing harems, mining, have been unable to stay here, have established colonies here, have been lost here, far advanced people or things, primitive peoples, or whatever they were. (laughs) That's Charles Fort in 1911. Yeah. Or whatever they were. Sorry, 1919. Whatever they were is a a wonderful (laughs) anticlimax to that monument distance. He thinks that giants are from another planet, fairies are from another planet. Um, Yeah. So so yeah so that's that's Charles Fort 1919 long before the 1950s UFO craze long before any of this other stuff so far as I can tell 
Yeah, and and yeah, you've got the the sort of forties sightings, right? With you know Roswell and all that sort of stuff, right? And then um, with Kenneth Arnold, it starts right before Roswell, and then Roswell and so forth, Aztec and all that. Um, and then you've got the fifties, the kind of craze for it. The sixties, I think you've got the kind of I, I I would honestly. So this all sounds very. What you're describing reminds me of Scientology uh, on some levels, right? Yeah. Um, uh, very much like Scientology, <laughs> um, but not that different narratively from kind of a basic Christian understanding of creation as well. It's just sort of replacing God mm-hmm. with a physical being, right? Um, yeah. And, and so this serves as kind of a materialist form of religion. Um, it's almost like religion for pseudoscientists, right? It's this, it's the same <laughs> stories of, of right. creation, sin, salvation, and second coming. Like, um, will they return one day? Right. And that's sort of yep. the, um, uh, even though we're supposedly still seeing them all the time, but, you know, <laughs> so they haven't really left, but whatever. Um, um, lots of logical holes in this theory. And so, but yeah. And so I feel like after the fifties, there is that kind of move to kind of make it, religious and this is where von daniken almost writes the scripture um if you will for uh for this mythology uh with chariots of the gods uh question mark and so and they always post things in, in maybe this is why i hate rhetorical questions and papers so much <laughs> everyone teases me and i'm like maybe it's because i've seen so much of it in ancient astronaut <laughs> theory <laughs> so. well I, I that, do think a use oh go ahead sorry it's it's that move that rhetorical move that they make which is um, is it possible that becomes within five seconds? How could it not be so? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and nothing more has been done in that intervening five seconds. <laughs> the foot in the door becomes the home invasion. <laughs> the theology of unfounded assertions. Yes. Um, go, <laughs> go ahead, Jordan. You were going to say something. Oh, I, I was just going to say a useful rule of thumb is that the more punctuation you've got in the title of a book, the more you should look askance at it, especially if it's the really insistent ones. You know, a colon, fine, right? Because that's, that's for a subtitle. But if it's a question mark or an exc- exclamation mark or, Lord forbid, more than one of those, you can just leave it on the shelf. That's That's funny. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I just – I. I don't know why. So we're kind of like trashing this. And Jordan, your original post, I think, is exactly right, that there is a a racialist idea here. Like, yeah, they do cover Stonehenge and they do cover the whatever that thing in France with the lined up, the Karnak stones. Um, They cover all these things in European countries. But the vast majority of the um, assumption that ancient peoples had to have help from betters is in indigenous kinds of cultures that are not white. Right. And and so, yeah, um, South America, um, Asia, um, all of the Indian religious texts are like literally UFO battles um, and and all those Egypt and Babylon and the Hebrews. Yeah. All of it is um, uh, the vast majority of it is um, centered on sort of non-white people. Um, um, I do uh, I, maybe it's an interesting moment to pause and, and just kind of why ask myself and maybe you guys can help me. Like, what is it about this that I'm so drawn to? <laughs> like, why do I find it so entertaining if I know it's bull crap? Right. And, and, um, and, um, and I really, I don't have a good answer other than I think there's some productive way, a productive outcome for thinking about ways in which 
why things are one way and not another, right? And so, you know, one one question I kind of as a thought experiment, like if we just disappeared as a civilization, like tomorrow or whatever, um, in not that many million years, like nature would completely erase our presence from um, from the earth. And the earth is billions of years old, right? And so why couldn't there have been like another civilization every bit as advanced as us that somehow wiped itself out, right? And so that's just a... Um, I know there's probably scientific reasons why that's not the case. And the book of nature guys are freaking out right now because they're listening to this. Um, but, um, but it's, is a, as a thought experiment, I don't know. It's, it's, it's thought provoking. It makes me, makes me think of things. And there's some way that this show and, and all of the kind of ancillary theories, like it does this, it performs a similar function for me on some yeah. level. Um, what, what do you guys think? Well, a lot, like okay, I know so. too much about this to not be entertained <laughs> yeah. by it, right? And so, yes, I'm obviously entertained by it. Go ahead. Yeah, I think the ordinary, the ordinary person who, without some kind of background in archaeology or whatever, looks at something like the the pyramids and says, "That is vast." You know, looks at looks at vast. You know, looks at. Um, you know some of the the megalithic uh, megalithic structures around the world with stones that are just so flipping enormous, and it's up on top of a mountain, <laughs> and it's not made of the stone that's from the mountain. Yeah, yeah, like those sorts of things. You know, we look at it and we're like, why, how, what on earth? Because, you know, we would, you know, we think about how, an, what an enormous undertaking that would be with the sorts of devices and engineering um, options that we've got, you know, in our own time. And so there, there is definitely this wow factor that demands an explanation. And uh, the ancient alien hypothesis is an explanation that in some way preserves the wow. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, it, it turns those things into a, a, almost a kind of numinous site as opposed to let's talk about engineering. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, and I, I think that's, I think that's attractive um, in a certain kind of way. I, I'm interested in it for, I think, probably many of the same reasons I'm interested in cryptozoology. Yeah. Because um, I don't like living in a world where I feel like all the big questions are more or less answered and taped up. Um, I love the idea that there might be, you know, unsuspected borders and seams that you could sort of pull aside that, that, that nice homogenous picture that is presented to us and find, well, gosh, I don't know what behind. Um, <laughs> that's cool. I think that's very cool. But at the same time, the more you, the more you dig into um, uh, some of the, some of the particulars of their story, when there's things that you know something about, that's when your that's when your 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 bullcrap detector goes off. Most. <laughs> yeah. So there are some episodes where you know they'll just they'll you know, when, when they start talking about 
uh, you know, very, yeah, it was, I was watching one last night just to review, right? It's for review. <laughs> it, it's for work, honey. It's for work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they were, and, you know, Giorgio was talking, you know, very confidently about, you know, how there were all these books in the Bible that got voted out at the Council of Nicaea because of the way that they, you know, you know, because apparently church fathers hate aliens, <laughs> um, you know, and, and he's talking in particular about the book of Enoch, which was never really in the running except in, I mean, in, in like a few little isolated corners that were probably, you know, you know, that it, it ended up in the canon with the Ethiopian Orthodox church, but like, that's for like for very particular historical reasons, not because the book of Enoch was ever particularly mainstream anywhere. Um, but I, anyway, when you know something about their arguments and they just sort of nice, they just said, Oh, you know, Nephilim, Anunnaki, same. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. But I've kind of read a lot about that stuff and they're not anywhere near, you know, that's just, you guys just read Zechariah Sitchin and stopped thinking at that point. Like, like you get the, you get the sense that all they know about the, you know, Mahabharata is what they uh, are the few little bits that get, you know, sort of jumbled up in chariots of the gods. (laughs) Um, and when Giorgio talks about the ancient texts, and what he means by ancient text could be anything from, you know, a, a an Egyptian inscription that's like legitimately 4,000 years old to something that was written in like 1300. <laughs> <laughs> As if everything in the past operates in this kind of like same flat plane with aliens descending on it. Well, and yeah. it's almost like everybody was the opposite of Drax. Like they only stood, understood <laughs> things, you know what I mean? Like, or, or yeah, they only understood things as metaphors. Right. You know? And so, um, <laughs> and so, yeah. Well, and this is, this is something that, that I've seen in, in, well, in other places. Um, you know, whenever they're like, ah, oh, yes, dragon imagery, because look at our rockets with all the fire and smoke. But then they start talking about electric vortexes and faster than light and wormholes. And I'm like, come on, guys, keep it straight. What, like, are the aliens in, <laughs> yes. like, faster than light UFOs or are they in, are, are they in like... Apollo rockets, like <laughs> it's whatever works for that particular story, right? Yes, yeah. Jordan, you were going to say something. Sorry. Oh, I was, just, I was. Yeah, I, that that just raises so many other topics. I, I think I agree with everything y'all just said. Um, and and I was going to say something along the lines of what David said. I like um, I do like. I think what's something that draws me to these kinds of things. First of all is my love of dead people. <laughs> um, and I, I think I get, not, yes. I think I get belligerent. Now, not literally. Bear let's, let's keep that, you know, yeah. uh, <laughs> bear with me. My, You're uh, listening to necrophilia podcast. <laughs> Support our Patreon. No, it, uh, I, I think I can occasionally even get belligerent in class defending people who are no longer here to defend themselves. Mm. Uh, right. Yeah. And so I know that a large a large amount of the appeal to me about things like things like ancient aliens is wanting to do combat with it. 
mm. because I know the people of the past were smart enough and sophisticated enough to do the amazing things that they did. And I think that is fascinating on its own. I don't think you need aliens for that. Mm. Um, nevertheless, I do, you know, kind of along the lines of what David was saying, I like to see some kind of mystery restored to this world that people treat as if it is a ship in a bottle, right? It's like this, you know, just settled, completely self-contained system in which everything is easily explicable, you know, and I mean, whether it's, you know, so I have a lot more, I have a lot more sympathy and a lot more kind of, you know, personal interest in kind of other things like this, like modern day aliens. Great. Really curious, interesting, probably all baloney, but it's fun. <laughs> uh, I, I, I draw the line when you start trying to attribute the wonders of the past or, you know, some sort of, again, some sort of ex- explanatory facility to alien intervention for what, you know, for everything from Hebrew prophecy to Stonehenge to, to the construction of the pyramids or whatever, you know. So, um, I mean, we, we were talking before the show about the movie Vast of Night, and that's about maybe an alien encounter in the 1950s. I'm totally down with that, especially like because the more pointless it is, the better because not everything in the world has to have a point, you know, and, and something else that, you know, draws me to and repels me from conspiracy theories is the fact that like, you know, I, I loved your metaphor of Legos, Danny, like it all fits together. And, you know, with enough, time and determination and soft enough padding in your cell you can actually you can actually you can actually fit all of these together into one massive all-encompassing meta-narrative right it would just it would just take that time and again loosey-goosey standards about the law of non-contradiction and that kind of, um that and that uh that bugs me because you know i think one of the glories of the world is that it is messier than that. Like David said, there are seams, there are, there are blank spots. There are things that just don't make sense. Right. Um, the last conspiracy theory I gave up on believing in high school was the JFK one. And I mean, part, part of that is just studying military history and weaponry and things. Bullets do weird stuff. You know, if a bullet that strikes an object is going to do bizarre and strange and seemingly inexplicable things. And it's, it's just physics, but it's physics that you nevertheless can't map onto a you know a formula. So I mean, there goes the magic bullet thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but I, I enjoy I do enjoy the way that things like ancient aliens restore a little bit of mystery to the world. Because if there's a temptation in our culture, it's to treat the world as completely unmysterious, and I think that's as unhealthy as. Tr- that is as unhealthy as treating it as if it's this massive Gnostic conspiracy to, you know, raise us from the ooze with spaceships or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of ooze, we promised that's, David. That's my perspective. <laughs> <laughs> speaking of ooze. Let's go. Let's turn the ooze over to David. No, no. Um, no. And I think you're right. I, I feel exactly the same way that you do, Jordan, about all that. Um, we had that other show about Quatermass in the pit. Right. Um, and, and it kind of is a way to come back to the kind of racial um, subtext of this uh, of these narratives. Do you want to kind of like give tell your piece about uh, about that that story? Yeah, so Quatermass in the Pit, um, lovely BBC uh, serial in, oh gosh, 50, can't remember the dates, just go listen to the episode, I guess. (laughs) Um, 
in which a uh, in, in some excavations in London, they find at first what they think is an unexploded bomb, but then it turns out to not look like anything that the that the Germans shot at London. Um, and in fact, they find out that it it can't possibly have fallen out of the sky while London existed. It had to have been there before that. In fact, millions of years before <laughs> um and uh, over over the course of the over the course of the serial it is revealed that you know there are these you know entities who came in the ship who probably had something to do with elevating um you know sort of hominoid near apes uh into a conscious you know thinking uh sentient species um, but because, uh, because these entities were, um, were warlike and even more than that, um, uh, xenophobic and came from a planet in which, uh, overpopulation was regulated by periodic, um, purges of whichever populations were, were, were least fit um that 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 particular set of uh mor- moral failings <laughs> was imprinted upon you know primal humanity and so that uh you know war and xenophobia and uh genocide and all of those uh those sins of humanity were in fact learned from martians because we are martians <laughs> at least in the head. Yeah. And, they, and they're like ghosts of these aliens that are yeah. inhabiting some people who have the genetic, have the kind of the Nazi gene or whatever. And, and uh, yes, yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool story though. It's a really great series. I don't know. I, when we did the show, it was on YouTube. I don't know if it still is or not. I, I kind of doubt it on some level, but, um, but it's, it's kind of hard to find hammer did a version of it called, however many million miles to earth, seven or eight, I forget what it was. Um, and, uh, five, five million miles to earth. I don't remember, but, um, but yeah, this is the one we talked about. And, and that to me is interesting because it's almost like an inversion of the ancient astronaut theory, or at least it's a version of it that is aware of this kind of racial, um, this racism, right. That, that is inherent with it. Right. And, and it kind of make, it builds that into the story. And, and I think, um, on some level, am I wrong about that? Well, there's, I mean, if, if you kind of hang with not the ancient astronaut, but kind of the more, if you bridge into the more kind of contemporary, you know, alien conspiracy stuff, um, one of the questions that they're constantly asking rhetorically in ancient aliens is, why did they come and what was their agenda? And then if you kind of take some of these same people like David Wilcock looking at you, um, <laughs> transition over into, you know, what they think is happening now, you'll find that they're evenly divided between these outsiders have come and they have manipulated us for hundreds of thousands of years to their own nefarious ends. We must learn what they're doing so we can resist the rep- reptilians. Yes. 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 And then on the other side, there is the ah the 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 uh, the transcendent space masters have raised us from the slime of our you know previous apehood, and 
And uh, as we grow as a species, one day they will welcome us into the harmonious concord of the Space Brothers. <laughs> the Space Brothers, yeah. <laughs> Billy Meyer and the Pleiadians. Pleiadians. Yes. Um, I can't say that word. Um, yeah. The Pleiadian. Yeah. <laughs> what is the word? I'm, the Pleiades. Um, yes. And, and even though they kind of they kind of run off the top of the run over the top of this thin ice. Every once in a while, you'll you'll see you'll hear in the same episode of Ancient Aliens someone saying, "Yeah, they need a slave race to mine gold," and then they'll be like, "They just wanted friends. They wanted us to be <laughs> conscious of the great mysteries, and and they left these secret codes so that we might find them one day. Our slavers who elevated us to consciousness so that that we could mine gold for them more efficiently, like." <laughs> I mean, it's it's really two different theories, and and the production of the show has 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 definitely glossed over the ways that that not everything that's said, even from even from that ancient aliens perspective, not all of it fits at all, you know. And they'll say things like, "Oh, you know, did the aliens build it? No, the aliens didn't build it. They taught human te- humans techniques to build it." And you're like, well, eh, okay, so if this isn't possible for humans to build, but now humans built it with techniques. What techniques? Techniques? <laughs> tools? Like, how is that different? I don't, anyway. Sonic levers. Yes. <laughs> with the lever. <laughs> well, you know, um, you know, who was it? Was it? Was it Archimedes who said, give me a lever long enough and a place to stand and I'll move the earth? What if he was standing on a UFO? <laughs> <laughs> and and they do actually. I mean, that's not even beyond the pale of the kinds of things they would say. Is that um, there are episodes where, like, I think there was one where Da Vinci was given all everything he came up with by aliens, right? Which I guess undermines the, the, it's not fully racist. It also applies things to white people. Right. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, Da Vinci Einstein, there's no way that he could have uh, just been that smart. Someone had to tell him these Mm -hmm. things. Right. And so, um, yeah, so that's not actually beyond the pale of what they would actually do in an episode. Now I think Von Donneken and sometimes you'll see it in Childress. Childress seems to have this obsession with, with godlike white people in Latin America. Yeah. Um, I have sometimes wondered whether he comes from a Mormon background. Oh, um, but absolutely nothing I could find seemed to suggest that. Mm. Um, but there, there's been a few things that that he said, things that he's paid attention to that remind me of kind of uh, the more naive strains of Mormon ar- archaeology. Um, but uh, you know, Von Donneken and, and and you know the. Will we'll have this kind of racialized, sometimes tone to it, but if you listen to Giorgio, Giorgio has this constant phrase. Well, he has several constant phrases, but one of them is always "our ancestors." Yes, Giorgio claims every single culture on Earth as <laughs> our ancestors. <laughs> Citizen of the world. Yeah, which to me is is you know I w- I would say that if if there's anyone on that show who 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 you couldn't throw racist at it would be Giorgio, because his his constant his constant thing is always our ancestors were smarter than we knew, our ancestors told you know simply described things that they saw our ancestors were wise and learned and they knew these things. You know, like that's always kind of his move. Yes. Which, which I, I find 
kind of charming. <laughs> what he does though that drives me crazy is every time he 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 sucks. He's like got this uh, like mysticism vacuum, and he sucks the spirit out of everything, right? And so, oh um, yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah, and he's like, so it wasn't a mystical being or a god. It was misunderstood technology, and the way he says technology, the way he pronounces it, is just weird too. But um, technology. <laughs> so yeah, um, everything is some sort of device that some. You know, whatever Apple software of the ancient past uh, developer <laughs> developed. And so, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, one aspect that's kind of related to this, to the ast- ancient astronaut thing that I, there's a way in which these stories reproduce themselves. Some people will come to the conclusion that this is bullcrap, right? And so, mm-hmm. but instead of just dumping it, they'll just reinterpret it. And so, uh, one form of this I see is people like, all right, maybe there weren't people coming here from other planets. It's from the hollow earth. There's a civilization. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I actually love the hollow earth uh, people, actually. They're kind of my favorites of, of all of these. And it isn't, I mean, I think, you know, debunkers will kind of misunderstand what they mean by hollow earth. It isn't that the earth is entirely hollow, but that there are sort of room there's cavities in the earth where so there's civilizations that, that yeah. live right and i'm not should, i'm not defending talk about that on another episode because <laughs> yes. that, i that's another thing i've dug into <laughs> hollow earth stuff and this is you know it's it's deeply connected with lumeria and all this um oh yeah and and so like to me that's a, an interesting way in which people see the dead end and instead of just like giving it up they just kind of come up with another dead end, you know what I mean? And make the same arguments just in a different framework. So, um, well, we're at an hour already. Can you believe it? Holy crap. <laughs> um, Jordan, do you have any, uh, anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, I'll, I'll just kind of bookend it with men- mentioning my blog post again, cause kind of the, the solution to all of this that I proposed, um, uh, whether it's again, and, and again, I'm, you know, I'm kind of ambivalent about the whole thing. I, I see where some people, um, you know, are again, our, our culture in particular is very prone to where I started with the chronological snobbery. Mm-hmm. My concern, of course, is that that, as we talked about, very easily shades over into racism. Right. M- maybe without even being aware of it at first. Yeah. Because because you've got that chronological distance, which allows you to think negatively about people <laughs> and yeah. say horrible things uh, with no repercussions. Um, yeah. But the solution, as I see it, for that is at least theologically the solution, and even for you know various kinds of present day racism, which is the the virtue of charity, right? Um, having and, and that's what I was you know semi joking about earlier, my my love for the dead, um, you know that have, having charity that we extend not just to each other in the here and now, but backwards to people retroactively, not not assuming. That just because people didn't have iPhones or running water, that they were somehow, you know, grunting cavemen who didn't know how to bathe, you know, that they, they didn't, that they didn't know what levers or wheels were, that they couldn't hew stone, that they couldn't move it, that they needed little green men to show up to help them do basic architectural projects, you know. So uh, I, I just feel like, you know, and I even tie it back to a G.K. Chesterton quotation about, you know, bigotry being basically a lack of imagination, being unable to imagine another human, another human mind that is substantially different from your own, um, working actively against the assumptions we have both about people in the here and now, which is more important than ever, uh, but working against the assumptions that we have about people who are long dead. Uh, yeah. And so that- I, I, 
Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say what you were saying actually reminds me of a contemporary problem in that, you know, people from Brooklyn just can't imagine how people from central Pennsylvania where I live exist. Right. I mean, I think that they think of us yeah. uh, not that I'm one of us either. I'm from <laughs> Cleveland, but um, I've never really quite felt a part of this place, but, um, but uh, sadly, but, um, but yeah, they think of my area as like, yeah, grunting cavemen, you know, so toothless hillbillies, right? right. You know, um, and, and it's not that different than the way the ancient astronaut theorists think of ancient um, peoples. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that yeah. this is on yeah. something that's yeah. called the History Channel makes it even more galling, right? <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's don't another, don't get me started. <laughs> that's another problem. So, yeah. Well, thanks for writing and, the essay. It was really really good, uh, David. Yeah, and let me. Oh yeah, uh, go ahead. Right at the tail end, I'm. Oh, I was just going to say, right at the tail end, I mention uh, that Eric van Daniken pops up in the works of one of my favorite writers, uh, which is Charles Portis, who just died this year. Uh, and I want to I want to pay tribute to him because he's one of my favorite novelists ever. He wrote True Grit, which he's most famous for. Uh, he sh- he was at the desk next to Tom Wolfe when they were reporters in New York. And I would have loved to just sit in that room. <laughs> That's um, crazy. I know. So uh, anyway, he, he wrote uh, True Grit, which he's most famous for, but he wrote several other novels. And I'm, I'm sad that we're not going to get another one out of him. But he, he passed away of Alzheimer's, I think, in his 80s, uh, back in January or February. But uh, he was he was obviously very keenly interested in this stuff. And he doesn't he doesn't do deep dives into it in his fiction, but he says enough that you can tell he has really read in it and digested it and enjoys it too, which makes it fun. Uh, but I want to recommend, uh, if you want something that is tangential to what we're talking about, but highly entertaining, uh, one of my favorite of his books is his last one, which is called gringos. Uh, it's about an expatriate American. He's not exactly an archeologist. He's like a guide for archeologists, uh, excavating Mayan pyramids. And he, you know, occasionally deals in illicit antiquities for uh, souvenir hunters. But he enter- when he's not on a job, he likes to sit around in uh, this town on the Yucatan coast and read. And uh, I pulled this quote from from it from for my blog some years ago. Uh, Still, the flying saucer books were fun to read, and there weren't nearly enough of them to suit me. I liked the belligerent ones best that took no crap off the science establishment. <laughs> which I think is a dead on a dead on explanation of the best of this kind of material. So check out Charles Portis's Green Ghost if you enjoyed this episode. Very, very cool. Thank you. That's delightful. Uh, David, do you have any kind of last thoughts? Um if you're watching Ancient Aliens, uh Every once in a while, not every once in a while, in practically every episode, they'll have on there someone who knows what they're talking about. Yes. <laughs> and you'll know that they're the person who knows what they're talking about because they never say anything about aliens. <laughs> right? Um, so, you know, just just kind of every once in a while, kind of tip your hat at the good sports. <laughs> and, yeah. There's the guy who's like the physics dude from some California university. Yes, and then there's yes. the, it's always these California academics who yeah. happen to be close at hand. Yeah. And then there's the guy who runs the Joseph Campbell, like a uh, folklore center or whatever it's called. I can't remember that guy's name, but he's there yeah. to just to kind of give the basic mythology that mm-hmm. these things. And yeah, yeah, there he's is got wizard eyes. Yes, he does. <laughs> That guy, love that guy. Um, well, if if uh, if Jordan is making a sort of a further reading um, recommendation, 
with one of his favorite authors, then I shall do one as well. Uh, Lovecraft set the mountains of madness, mm. mm-hmm. uh, which the, the twist of which among other twists is that all life on earth was invented by a, a, a race of extra colonizing extraterrestrials who, who created a malleable sentient life on earth in order to perform its manual labor. Hmm. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, is, yeah, it's, it's basically all of their theories, except it's even more ancient in time and even less kind of clumsy and haphazard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is so true. Yeah. The, like I said, this is, this is something that history channel popularized, right? Um, but this is something that kind of has existed for a very, very long time. Um, um, even within the cultures, frankly, that, um, are being talked about here. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a very, um, for me, it's a fun, I would call it a guilty pleasure. Um, I know some people get mad that you're not supposed to call anything a guilty pleasure. To me, there's nothing wrong with guilt. <laughs> guilt is a very important thing. I'm a, uh, yeah, I believe in Life guilty pleasures. Guilt. Yes. And so, yeah. yeah, I have no patience for these pop culture people who don't believe in guilty pleasures. So, yeah, um, enjoy what you want, but be guilty about it, doggone it. And so, um, and so anyway, but um, this was a lot of fun for me. This was not a guilty pleasure. I've really enjoyed um, this episode. It's always great to have you guys on. I don't do it enough. Um, and uh, we got to, we got to amend that now that my life is settling down just a little bit uh, from you know awesome. the last few months and so uh, we should definitely plan on doing more of these kinds of shows this is a lot of fun I would love to do one devoted to the hollow earth um, if you guys are up for it <laughs> we'll, we'll put it on the, do- the docket so for the new year Very so cool. um, but for anyway for uh, David Grubbs and for Jordan Poss my name is Danny Anderson thanking you for listening to another episode of the sectarian review podcast <laughs>